listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbcok.info. I believe a brother can preach after that. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, guys. I know I put you on the spot and you responded well. Thank you. Open up your Bibles to Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. And while you open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, a lot of things have been through my heart and my mind in the last couple of weeks. First of all, I broke one of my commitments that I should not have broke. I started watching the news. And the reason why I try not to watch the news very much is because it stresses you out. You know, they don't hardly talk about good things. And typically, it's a lot of the bad things that are going on in the world. And so you've got all the things that are happening in politics. Everybody puckers up just a little bit whenever we mention things like that. But we've got things that are going on in political spectrums. We've got things that are going on across our nation, across our state, that are worrisome, that are bothersome, that if you focus on those things, they can break your spirit. If you're with me, say, I am. I am. Also, just hearing news, just bad news. I've got a good friend who's preached here many times, Walker Moore who is in a battle with stage four cancer. And uh, his spirits are incredible. If you saw his article, it's actually released on his surgery date this weekend. And uh, he has a, an incredible perspective and outlook on what God is going to do through all of this. And it's just incredible, his heart, incredible, his attitude and all of it, but still it's heartbreaking to know that he's in this fight with stage four cancer. But you just spend enough time with people and you begin to hear stories and you begin to hear that, golly, it might have been a tough couple weeks for people around here. Am I the only one? And to think, what a timely moment to get some understanding from God's Word and to get some peace and some calming from the Word of God. This would be a good season for that, I think. And so as the Lord is working on my heart and putting this all together in my mind, I begin to think about Daniel. And let me give you a little bit of perspective. And we'll be in Daniel chapter 2. We'll start in verse 20. But the perspective is December 26, 1993. Probably the hardest season or one of the, the most difficult seasons of my life. Graduated 1990, 1993. I'm in the process of walking through with my mom one of the most miraculous turnarounds that I've ever seen. This woman was an alcoholic and a drug addict. 
She was beat up by the world in so many ways, some of it self-inflicted, some of it overwhelmed by the abuse that she endured as a child, the abuse that she endured as an adult. A lot of things surrounding what my mom went through and allowed herself to go through in some time because of self-inflicted bad choices. But I saw my mom get saved. I saw my mom transformed right in front of my eyes. I've shared that testimony with you before of how she walked down that aisle at Trinity Baptist Church in Lawton, Oklahoma, and I sat down and I listened to this sweet dear old lady lead my mama to Jesus right there on the front pew. Young people, a pew is a chair they used to have in churches. <laughs> it looked like a bench, it had a pad on it. And if you, were at, if you were at a newer church, the pad was still comfy. If you were not, if you were at an older church, it had the shape of who had been sitting there for the last 20 years. But it was a pew. And I watched my mom sit on that front pew with this little old lady, and I, I listened. I, the Lord let me hear my mom pray and ask Jesus to forgive her of her sins. And I saw a lifetime of wrong made right in an instant. And it's probably the most beautiful redemption thing that I've ever seen with my own eyes. And it was powerful. And it was wonderful. And I watched the testimony of my mom's life. For the next 11 months, my mom would not take another drink of alcohol. She would not take another drug. And yet the Lord was merciful to her in that she did not have one single detox symptom. Not one. No sickness from detox. If you know about that world, you know that's a miracle and a gift from God. That never happens. But I also watched my mom grow spiritually. I watched her read her Bible more than I'd ever seen anybody read their Bible. She was constantly reading the Word. She, I would find out after, after the fact, even years after she had passed away, that she was sharing her testimony in some of the native churches in our area. Because people had heard about her transformation. But my mom was sick. The one thing that God did not heal her from was the cirrhosis of the liver that she had because of her alcohol and drug addiction. But for 11 months, there were a lot of wrongs made right in our relationship was the best it had ever been. And on December 26, 1993, that was the last moment I'd have with my mom. And for a really young guy, a really young guy who was really pretty new in his faith, was saved in 1990. My mom is passing away in 93. I'm already in part-time ministry. Things had fast-forwarded really fast. And I'm now having to lead my family through the death of my mom. And that was a hard, grieving process. And in that process and in that walking through this circumstance was a lot of pain and a lot of questions. My world was upside down. If you're with me, say I am. And I needed, I needed clarity and I needed God to show himself in some powerful way. And so, as I was in ministry that summer, getting ready for camp, 
or the summer after that, it had been a year, a summer after that, is when I was getting ready for camp and, and I wanted to uh, get a t-shirt made for camp that was really cool. And so I, I went to a guy that I knew I graduated with his daughter, his name's Ed Hoosier, incredible artist. I said, I need, you to have, I need you to fix me the coolest camp shirt ever. And so he began to go to work. And I began to go, and some of you have heard this story, I began to go to his office and work on this design. And one day I noticed this native artwork on his wall. And I noticed in the bottom right-hand corner, it had my name, Keybone. And I was like, Ed, why is my name on your painting? Now, let me give you some understanding. I'm Comanche, Kiowa, and Cherokee. I grew up with my Comanche family, had no background with my Kiowa family, but my last name is Kiowa. And so a lot of people knew that I had an Indian name. A lot of people knew that it was a Kiowa name. And I, would often, I was often asked, what does your name mean? So not wanting to be embarrassed, I made stuff up. <laughs> so they'd say things like, what's your name mean? I'd say, strong buffalo or something like that. And they always thought it was really cool. I was sitting here with Ed Hoosier one day. I asked him why my name is on that painting. He says, don't you know what your name means? And I confessed to him that I lie about it all the time, have no idea, grew up my Comanche family, not my Kiowa family, so I don't know. And he goes, well, I know what your name means, and that's why I paint under it. He said, in fact, I went through the naming ritual with the Kiowa people so that I could paint under your name. And I said, well, Ed, what does it mean? And he began to tell me the story about a Kiowa chief named Big Bo and how Big Bo had this reputation for being indestructible, that no matter how fierce the battle, he would always see his way through. At times he would take death, death-giving wounds, but it wouldn't kill him. And I was like, okay, that sounds way better than strong buffalo already. <laughs> he said, but there was this time when on a hunt, he'd taken most of the men in his little band of Kiowas on a hunt and most of them died, including Big Bo. And only a few of the men made it back to the camp, and they told the story of how he died. And so that group of Kiowas began to mourn. The Kiowa tradition is to mourn for three days and then choose a new leader. And so on that third day of mourning, before they would choose that leader, Chief Big Bo came walking back into the camp, and he was alive. And so they changed his name from Big Bo to Kiboda, which meant stronger than death. Way better <laughs> than strong buffalo. And so I was amazed by that. I was, I mean, it, was, it blew me away to hear that incredible story. I finally knew what my name meant. Two weeks later, I was asked to share my testimony at a Native American youth rally. And I'm at this youth rally, and I keep hearing they're singing native hymns, native songs, hymns that already exist in the native language. And I'm hearing this song that keeps saying my name in the song. And so I go to one of the older Indian men there, Kiowa man, I said, hey, I said, am I hearing my name in that? You know how you sometimes just mishear lyrics? That's what I thought I was doing. My wife, there was a song back in the day called More Than a Woman. More than a woman. Remember that? Yeah, that's some of you bobbed your head. I see you. Well, my wife thought it was bald-headed woman, which changes, changes the whole meaning of the song, right? And so, you know, we've all got those moments, those songs. And so, so I think, am I hearing this right? And he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, boy, he said, don't you know what your name means? And first thing I'm thinking is, how does everybody know what my name means except me? 
But he says, don't you know what your name means? And I told him what I knew, and he goes, there's more to the story. He said, when missionaries came to try to share the gospel with the Kiowa people, he said, they didn't have a way. They didn't have a way in their language to tell them that Jesus died and rose again until they came across Kibo Da, which meant that Jesus was stronger than death. And he said, your, he said son, your name means salvation. Whoa. See you later, Buffalo, right? <laughs> it means salvation. And folks, now understand the time. I'm wrestling with all these things that are going on with my family, with my mom, and I'm still grieving, okay, still grieving, walking through all this, but all of a sudden, God wraps this part of my life up in a beautiful bow and says, son, I have been with you from the beginning. Everything that you've endured and gone through, I have walked you through. I've seen a way for you. I've taught you things. I've let you experience things. Things At times, I wanted to rescue you. But the reason why I didn't intervene, because of what you were going to learn on the other side of it. And now we are here. Now, here is your mission. Here is your life. I signed it up in your name. Now, go. And I'm telling you, there was a peace and a strength that fired up inside of me that to this day has not been quenched. And the reason why I tell you that story is because I think it ties in with what we see In Daniel chapter 2, you have this situation going on where God's people, by their own volition, by their own bad choices, have put themselves in a place where the hand of God is not on them, right? I mean, for hundreds of years, God has warned them. He's warned them through the the prophets. He, He warned them through Moses. He warned them through Isaiah. He warned them through Micah. He warned them through through. Jeremiah, he warned him over and over and over again. Listen, if you will walk with me, if you will be obedient to me, if you will walk in my ways, if you do not turn to the left or to the right, if you will walk with me, I will be with you. And I will give you victory. I will take care of you. You are my people. If you're with me, say I am. But they were consistently and constantly disobedient. And he gave them powerful warnings. Listen to this warning from Moses. In Deuteronomy 28, 64, he says this. He says, and the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. You depart from these teachings. You depart from this truth. This is the outcome that's going to happen. You will find yourself worshiping gods that don't even exist, that are meaningless, that are worthless, that you didn't know and your fathers didn't even. You will find yourself, listen to this church, in a bad place. You're with me, say, I am. I am. Listen to this in 2 Chronicles, most likely from Ezra. Listen to this warning. But they kept mocking the messengers of God. But they kept mocking the messengers of God. Folks, does that sound familiar? But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until this, until this happened, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people. And listen to this. And there was no remedy. Do you hear this? Now think this through. Let's go through a little bit of a timeline. Think this through. You've got Moses somewhere between 1440 and 1400 BC. Warning. If this happens, then this will happen. And then you have this warning. These are several warnings in the book of Isaiah. 
And that's somewhere between 931 and 686 BC. The same warnings can be seen in Micah. Same timeline, somewhere between 931 and 686 BC. And then you've got Jeremiah weeping, crying, trying to give warning, trying to give some sort of sign that you've got to be obedient. Happening somewhere between 686 and 586 BC. And now all of a sudden, because warnings were not heeded, do you see the timeline? Because warnings were not listened to. Because God's people continued to be disobedient, to choose their way over God's way, what happens? God then raises up a king. And his name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful kings to ever reign on this earth, raises up his powerful army. And he comes and he destroys God's people in their land. Now he's in charge. And this is a part of that exile where God has removed his hand from his people and he has allowed them to fall to their enemies. And they would be in a place like Ezra talked about where there is no remedy. And now God's people are dispersed everywhere and they are worshiping gods that they never heard of. They were certainly not the gods of their fathers. Everything that God has said, are you with me right now? If you're with me, say I am, has come to play. And now in the midst of this exile, though, God is still working. God is still working. He's working in particular in this moment in four men. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were selected, handpicked by the king and his court. Because as the Bible would say, they, they looked the part. They looked perfect in their bodies. They had perfect minds, it seemed. They, they passed every test to make sure that they were the smartest of the bunch, that they were gifted in some way. If you want to call it the gifted and talented of their people, that's who these guys were. They were the best of the best. These four men were pulled out on purpose to serve Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. But something interesting about these four men, these four men in the midst of all that has happened with God's people, are still faithful and they follow God. They are sincere and devoted to the word. These are men of prayer. They are loyal to God. If you're with me, say, I am. And so even in the midst of all the training that they're getting and in the, in the brainwashing that's, attempted, that's being attempted to happen right here, they are still loyal to their God and their king. And now the situation is this. Nebuchadnezzar is being plagued by a reoccurring dream. And this dream has happened enough and it has plagued him so many times that he understands there's a meaning in this dream. There's something going on. There's something unique and special about the dream. There is a message in this dream and he's not able to interpret it. He doesn't understand it. And so he gets so worked up about it that he puts this command across the land to his wise men, to his magicians, to his people who he believes are set apart, have these supernatural works. And these guys right here, Daniel specifically, is in the midst of that. And he says to them, listen, I need somebody to come in here and figure this out for me. But this is, this is so important to him. He says, this is how I want it to work. As he brings all of these top shelf people into his presence, he says, I want you first to tell me what my dream is. I'm not going to give you any details. I'm not going to give you any hints. You're going to tell me if you're the real deal. And I need the real deal right now. Come on, if you're with me, say I am. I need the real deal right now. 
And if you're the real deal, you're going to tell me what my dream is. And then after you tell me what my dream is, you are then going to interpret it for me. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine the response? Well, the response the Bible gives that these guys all stepped up and they said, listen, you're asking something that's impossible. That's too hard. That's not going to happen. And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, that's unfortunate because see, that's what's going to happen. Because you can't do this for me, you're going to die. And not only are you going to die, the place you live in, it's going to die too. And so have a great day. We'll see you in the morning when your life is over. So everybody's upset. Everybody's worked out. You're asking us to do something that no one can do. As the executioner, if you will, finds his way to Daniel, it's amazing this moment, and you can read it for yourself in chapter 2, this moment where Daniel meets Ariok, and he says, so what's got the king so worked up? What happened that he's taking such drastic measures? And he hears the story. And then Daniel goes to the king. He says, give me a little bit of time. And we're going to see about that dream. And so the king gives him favor, buys him a little bit more time. And I love his response. And I want to check into the section that we're going to right here. Because oh, let's go to 17. He says, then Daniel, after this visiting with the king, returned to his house and he explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And he urged them, listen to this, and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night of the mystery, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, and I want you to pause. So what's happened, Daniel goes to the king. I need a little more time. Give me a minute. The king says, fine. He comes to his house, or comes to the house, and he visits with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He says, I want you to pray. Not fearful. Not out of his mind not freaking out. He's going to the guys that he knows, loves, and trusts the most. And he says, I need you to pray. And I want you to pray very specifically that you, that God would give me insight into what's going on with this dream. That God would do what he wants to, and that would spare us, spare me and my friends. And so they went to work. And I've often wondered what that was like for them. I wonder if they just stayed up all night praying. But here's what we know about Daniel. Are you ready for this? We don't know if they stayed up praying or not. My guess is that they probably did, but I know what Daniel did. You know what Daniel did? He slept. <laughs> he slept. Think about that for a second. He slept. He slept knowing that in the morning, he's either going to deliver or he's not going to deliver. And this isn't a pizza we're talking about, right? This isn't being a little late with some news. If it doesn't work out, oh man, my bad. See you later, king. This is, if I don't deliver, I die. And a bunch of other people die with me. If you're with me, say I am. I am. But this brother goes to sleep. How many of you have ever had a really bad day and you know the next day is going to be worse? Anybody had that ever, right? How'd you sleep the night before? Right? Man, you toss, you turn, you try to do everything, get your mind turned off, and you just can't do it. Can you imagine? This brother went to sleep. 
And not only did he go to sleep, but through the power and the prayer that was brought on by God himself, brought on by these prayer warriors that are on his side. Come on, church. This brother didn't just sleep. He had a dream. How about that? He had a revelation. God spoke to him. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that good? Do you see some significance in that? Man, this brother walked with God, put it before his brothers to pray, and said, now I'm going to go take me a little nap. And I'm thankful that God speaks in dreams. Yeah, otherwise some of y'all wouldn't make it. (laughs) But he speaks to him. And this is what he said. This This is Daniel's response to what the Lord gave to him. Listen to this. He says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Do you hear church? And listen to this. He says, he changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. He says, I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power and you have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So what does that mean? What what does all this mean? Now, in this world that Daniel is living in, there's chaos. You might call it political chaos. You might call it social chaos. You might call the time that he's living in just a rough and awful time, especially for God's people. If you're with me, say, I am. But what we see in the life of these men of God, and especially in Daniel, because that's noted, it's brought out, we're talking about him a lot. But what you see is that his first response in all of this is the peace of God. Now, why did Daniel have a peace about him with all of this stuff going on? It's what we talk about all the time. He was devoted to the word. He was devoted to prayer. He was devoted to walking with God. And so he was walking with God in such a way, along with his brothers, they were walking with God in such a way that there was a confidence in who God was. A confidence. And he began to understand, especially after this dream. Do you hear what he says? He says in this dream, he says, I'm praising you because you change times and seasons. This is a revelation from Daniel. He's realizing, oh my goodness, everything that's happening to us right now has happened because of the disobedience of our people. And everything that you said was happened. It was happening to us now. We're going through what you promised. And then guess what? He remembers the other side of that promise. He remembers the other side of the, you know what the other side of the promise is? The other side of the promise is deliverance from exile. The other side of the promise is forgiveness of sins. The other side of exile. Come on, church, wake up this morning. My goodness, that's good news. Let me tell you why that's good news. Because if we have that kind of walk with God, if we have that kind of understanding, if we have that kind of confidence in who God says that he is, 
and who God has presented himself to be. We know it. We see it every day. Our faith magnifies this powerful truth. If we walk in that way, we can know that the trouble we see today, the circumstances we're going through right now, the questions that we have right now, there's another side to it. There's another side to it. There are other promises. Listen, he didn't just say, Jesus didn't just say, in this world you're going to have trouble. Sorry. That would have been an awful, awful statement if it just ended right there. But what did Jesus say? He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Amen. You see, on this side, that's all right. On this side of exile, it looks awful. But on the deliverance side, it's beautiful. And it's the major work of God. Here's what I want you to understand. If God can work through history and time over hundreds of years to fulfill his plan, understand this. You troubled by politics? We might want to stop the recorder because I'm about to get into it right now. Now, keep it rolling. I'm not going to get in trouble. If you're troubled by politics, understand this. The Bible says that every king, every authority, and every ruler does not take their place unless he commands or wills it. I don't have to stress over that. I don't have to stress over that. I don't have to stress over that. I don't have to worry about, I don't have to defend or protect or promote a president on Facebook. Because I know you're making a big difference anyway. We don't have to worry, we don't have to put our sleeves on our, 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 our feelings on our shoulders so that people can knock them off so easily because of all this term. We don't have to do that. We don't have to walk that road. Why? Because God has a plan for whoever's in the office. God who has a plan for, has every plan for every ruler on the planet. All of those things are in his hands and he will do what he wants to do. And here's the, here's the problem we get into. We think that God is primarily concerned about the prosperity of our nation. That's not his primary concern. His primary concern is the condition of the hearts of his kids. And listen, you have a God who in space and time arranged things so that his people could have the promised land. You know about the promised land. You know about the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, let me try to help you understand that. Um, a land flowing with fried chicken. <laughs> and Coke Zero. Okay, okay, hold on. I lost some of you on Coke Zero. How about fried chicken, biscuits, and sweet tea? Uh, maybe, maybe some Dr. Pepper. Listen, you know, 
He gave them blessing. He gave them land. He gave them the sweetness of every. He gave them the best of the best, church. He gave them that. And what happened? Now we're in exile. And so here's what we see. And this is the heart of God. This is what I mean. When I, I'm not picking a political side. I'm not promoting one or the other. That's not my job. That's not who I am. My job is to point you to the fact that God is in control of all of it. And I don't have to try to will anything. If you're with me, say I am. I hold my ground. And I stand for what's right. And I stand for what's true. Under the authority of God. And what he says is right. And what he says is true. And sometimes God will raise up leaders around the world and in our country to give us prosperity because our hearts reflect that. But sometimes he allows us to walk through leadership that we've earned. As we drift away from God, as the word means nothing to us, or at least not as much, as we drift away and become a prayerless and faithless people, the Lord knows how to bring us to our knees. Do you think God enjoyed giving the people Nebuchadnezzar? No, I don't think he did. But do you think that the outcome in deliverance, this was the moment. You know what this is? In the beginning of Daniel, this is the first line of powerful miracles after the exile. You're going to have that moment here in just a moment where if you keep reading... Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Do you remember what happens to them? They have this moment where they're not going to worship. They're not going to worship Nebuchadnezzar. They're not going to worship his gods. And they're going to have to take a stand. And what happens if they don't worship the gold statue? What happens if they don't worship Nebuchadnezzar's gods? Do you remember what happens? Nebuchadnezzar says, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And you're going to die. Let me read you their response to that. <laughs> I love this so much. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. I love this. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. <laughs> I've always wondered if that was made into a movie, whose voice that would be. <laughs> James Earl Jones? Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman? I know a few who it wouldn't be. Like Mickey Mouse, you know, that wouldn't sound right. <laughs> but it's a powerful moment. It's a powerful moment. And so there's peace that God gives when we walk with him to help us face these kinds of things. If you're with me, say, I am. And then you see praise. The moment that Daniel gets this message, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is praise. God, you set the times and seasons. You navigate history. You raise up kings. You put them down. You give us what we need in the right times and places. I don't have to sweat this. Praise God. It was praise. And you see immediately, and maybe this is where we're at, you see immediately 
that he was drawn to pray. God, you have to do this. God, you must do this. If you remember, when he confronts Nebuchadnezzar with the dream, what does he say? He says, man, I can't help you. But do I know a God who can? (laughs) And he testifies and delivers in the name of God. And it's powerful and it's good. Maybe we're drawn to prayer because of the circumstance that we're in. And then finally, you see Daniel is given a presence. As he walks with God, the love of God and who God is flows through him. The power of God flows through him and people notice. That gives him influence. God has made us influencers in a dark world. And you see that influence come out in how we treat people. The message that we send through every venue that we have, whether it be social media or conversations, through text messages or whatever. And you also see that influence in things that we promote with our lives. But he's given us influence. He's given us presence. And this is what I see. God will do whatever it takes to get the attention of his people. Promised land or exile. If you're with me, say I am. For more information about Cherokee Hills Baptist Church, visit us online at chbcok.com.